If you have a copy of the scriptures, I would invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. So we're starting a new summer series today for the summer months. We're going to be going through the life of Abraham and thinking about Abraham. So we're going to be taking a break from the book of Romans, and then we'll pick up Romans again in the fall. And as you have perhaps noticed already, Abraham's kind of an important figure to understand the gospel and to understand the New Testament and to understand reality. And so we thought it might be good to go through the life of Abraham for about 10 weeks, actually six or seven. I'm going to be gone for a few weeks. But we're going to look at the life of Abraham. We're going to start that today. Um, and I need to say a couple other things. One, um, I have been reading some really good stuff on the life of Abraham. And so rather than me breaking up the sermon and telling you I got this from this person, I'm quoting that, that person, I just want you all to assume that very few of the words that I say and thoughts that I communicate are, originate with me. I just want to say it on the front end, okay? And if you want other sources, if you want to know everything I've been reading, I am more than happy to share that with you. But I'm, I've been reading some great stuff and so much stuff that I just can't, it wouldn't be good for me to tell you every time I'm quoting from somebody. It would be a very, it would be a distraction. And so uh, the way I've put this together is my own. I'm not, I'm not plagiarizing from anyone, but the ideas I'm getting from others. And I'm happy to share those with you if you want. The last thing I want to say is um, I've got my PET scan coming up Saturday, uh, Tuesday morning at 7.30. And so if y'all would please be in prayer for that, I really would appreciate that. Uh, the scan will be 7.30 Tuesday morning. I hope to know something by Thursday afternoon. I have a meeting with the oncologist uh, this coming Thursday. And that will kind of, depending on what happens with that test, will determine what my next several months look like. Look like. And so um, if you're favorable toward praying for me, I really would appreciate it. Uh, I, I don't like getting medical stuff done to me. So to know that this stuff is kind of hanging in the balance, I don't like waiting either. So it's just hard, just hard to wait through all this. Um, so if you would pray for me, please do. Um, let's look together at Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9. Listen to this. This is the word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went and as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west side and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a change where we can um, hit the pause button on Romans and we can think more deeply about this significant figure in the history, really, of the world. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand this man, Abraham. Would you help us to understand more about who you are and what you're doing in the world and how we relate to all of that? And always, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring us to Jesus. 
that you would keep us from thinking that we show up today because we want to learn how to be a better person or a nicer person. Convince us more and more that coming to worship is not about that. Coming to worship is to be in your presence and to hear good news and to know how we are being transformed by what our Savior has done. So have your way with us. Convince us. Challenge us. Rebuke us. Equip us for everything we need, Lord. We pray this for your glory and our good. Amen. So let's tee up the series on Abraham. I want to tell you a story that will give you a snapshot of all that we're going to talk about from chapters 12 to 25. Before I came here to the church and became the pastor here, I did campus ministry on the campus of Western Carolina University. And there was one spring break in which I was going to take a bunch of college students to St. Louis for a trip. We were going to go visit a church in inner city St. Louis and see all that they do and all that goes on. I was so excited about this trip. I was going to be able to take my family on it, which was even better. And uh, lots of students were going to go. It was, it, it was just, I was super excited. The morning I woke up for the trip, Jenny and the kids were sick. I think two of the kids started throwing up. Jenny wasn't feeling well. And I had to leave for the trip and leave them behind. And that was hard. But what was really hard is that I was so excited and had all these expectations about taking them with me. And then that didn't happen. So I got in the car and our, our plan was to stop in Nashville, Tennessee the first night. And then the second day, uh, make it the rest of the way to St. Louis. So on my way to Nashville, I start calling my friends. You know, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I'm discouraged. And one of my friends says to me, hey Dave, uh, our church is having a conference tonight. Why don't you just meet me at the church and you can come to our conference. And the speaker that night was a guy named Tim Keller. And so I showed up at the church and I literally showed up at like 6.55 and the thing started at 7. So I get in, I get in the building and I find my friends and I sit with them and um, Keller tells this story. He said that when he first came to Christ, that he felt like he was giving God everything. And what he's learned over the next 40 years of his life is that when he first came to Jesus, he just gave Jesus actually 1%. And God's been after the other 99, the remainder of his life. That is a snapshot of what we see with Abraham and the whole story of Abraham. Abraham comes to faith, and he thinks he's given everything, and God is after the other 99. And I would say this is true for us. Most of us, when we came to Christ, thought, man, I'm leaving this behind. I'm leaving that behind. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm coming to Jesus. And now you've had 5, 10, 15, 20 years to realize, oh, there's a whole lot that I hadn't given up. There's a whole lot that I hadn't found in Christ. So that means we're going to look at the life of Abraham, and if you want two questions we're going to be answering every week, it's going to be these. What is my faith? What, what is it? What, what is faith to me? What does it mean to believe that kind of question cluster? What is faith, really? And the second question is, who is God for me? Not who is God to me, but who is God for me? So this morning, even looking at chapter 12, we're going to answer those questions when we get to application. So I want you to be thinking about faith and what you think faith is and what God's teaching us about faith and who you, think, who you may think God is and what God is saying, oh no, this is who I am for you. If you need a mantra, I'll give you a mantra for this little short series on Abraham. 
Here's a quick little mantra. If you want to reiterate this over and over, I certainly have been doing it a lot the past uh, seven plus days. Um, Letting go, leaving behind, traveling light. If you want a mantra to understand the Christian life and what it means to be in fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with God and working in the Spirit working on you, here it is. Letting go, leaving behind, traveling light. If you need a mantra, there you go. All that to say in more simple terms, less of me, more of God. Got it? So this morning we're going to look at chapter 12 with that as teeing up the series. And we're going to look at the first part of what we see about Abraham. And we're going to look at the story and then we're going to have takeaways. So let's start with the story. Genesis chapter 12 through 25 gives us the story of Abraham. Abraham lived 175 years. And in these chapters we get about 13 or so stories of Abraham, little snapshots into his life. So a guy that lived 175 years, we have roughly 15 stories of his life, of things that happened over that 175-year length of time. And what we find in this story, if you notice the words that we read in the first nine verses of chapter 12, is this story is about God pursuing Abraham. What we learn about Abraham from the end of the book of Joshua is this. Abraham grew up in a house that didn't love God. He grew up in a house that was full of idols. He grew up worshiping something other than God. He grew up learning that there's another meaning and another way to find purpose and another way to exist outside of the God of the Bible. He grew up thinking that he could make himself happy, that he could serve himself, that he could pick whatever God he wanted and appease them to get what he wanted. That's the essence of idolatry. It's whenever we focus our worth, our value, our meaning, our purpose on something other than God and we do whatever they say because we want something that, they th- that we think they can give us. God pursued Abraham. God pursued this guy who was an idolater. And guess what God determined to do to this guy Abraham? Did you notice it in the first few verses? Bless him. How about that? God didn't come to Abraham because Abraham was a great person. He didn't come to Abraham because he saw that he had great potential. He came to Abraham as an idolater, as someone who wanted nothing to do with God. Yet God pursued him in that idolatrous state. And he determined to bless him. Oh, by the way, this is quite a blessing, isn't it? (laughs) Wow. He tells Abraham, you know what? You're going to have a people, Abraham. You're going to belong to a people. He tells him that you are going to have a place, that he has given him a new home, that God has prepared a place for him to live with his people. He tells Abram that he will protect Abram. So that no matter what's happening in Abraham's life, God is going to bless him and use him so that people that bless Abraham, God will bless. And people that do ill toward Abraham, God will curse. God promised to protect Abraham. And even if you know almost nothing about Abraham, let me tell you, his life wasn't easy, okay? So God's blessing had almost 
almost nothing to do with material things. It had nothing to do with the circumstances of your life are gonna be phenomenal the rest of your life. It had everything to do with God saying, oh, I'm gonna be with you. I can work any evil thing for good. I can make anything happen, and I will, because I love you, you idolater Abraham. And then he promised Abraham this, the effect, what effect God would have through Abraham to the rest of the world. Did you notice that in the text? That from him all the families of the earth will be blessed? Can you take that in? Like, I enjoy the promises of God when they're like, um, I will never leave you, forsake you. I love that promise of God. But I don't think too much about this kind of promise where God's promised to give me a people, where he's promised to give me a home, where he's promised to protect, and where he's promised to affect the whole world, and that for all of time. That is an incredible blessing that God gives to someone who is a rebel who wants nothing to do with God. And to press that even further, did you notice in the text how old Abraham was? 75. We begin the story with Abraham at 75 years old. Why in the world would God decide to bless Abram and his wife, Sarah? Why in the world would he bless them when they're 75 years old? Why would he tell them that he's going to give them a people? Why would he tell them that he's going to give them a, a land, a place? Why would he tell them that, he needs to, that he's going to protect them and affect the whole world? Why would he do that? Why would he pick these old people? Why wouldn't he pick someone young? Because this is not a story about human potential. It is not a story about how these two people have all kinds of potential. It is a story about God, just like every other story in the Bible. And, and, and God even gets blunt with us in somewhat a humorous way. If you look back at chapter 11 of Genesis, what you'll find in verse 30 is God says that Sarah is barren, and then God adds, she has no children. Just to make it abundantly clear, because if we read that someone was barren, we wouldn't assume that she couldn't have children, right? God's saying, no, let me make sure you understand what her potential is for having children. Nada, zero, zilch, none. This is not a story about human potential. And not only as you follow this story is it telling us about God pursuing Abraham and determining to bless someone who was rebellious to him, to God, it's a story that Abraham followed, that Abraham went. God said, Abram, go, and, and he followed. That's why when we read the verses, you can tell it says where he traveled. He started out in Ur, then he went to this place called Haran. It was there that other places of Scripture tell us that that's where Abram's dad died. Can you imagine losing your dad in a place? Think that might be a memorable moment for you? Even before that, chapter 11 tells us that Abraham had two brothers, one of them died. 
So Abraham and all that he had, Lot and his, his nephew and others that were with him, they, they traveled from Ur and made it to Iran and they were on their way to Canaan and then they ended up getting to Canaan and then they passed through Canaan and ended up going south and ended up to a place that you might have heard before, Egypt. And they ended up there because there was a famine. Couldn't find any food. The promise that God is going to bless you doesn't mean that everything and every circumstance in your life is going to go exactly like you want. Just wanted to reiterate that. And he ends up somewhere in Egypt. That's where we'll pick up the story next time. But Abraham followed. God said go, and he did. And Abraham, as he traveled around, if you notice in some of the verses we read, he set up altars. Did you notice that? There's one at Shechem. There's one at Bethel. And there ends up being one in Hebron. Meaning that as Abraham was traveling, and as Abraham was going to who knows where, ultimately, every place that he would go, not every, excuse me, not every place he would go, but as he traveled, he would stop and set up an altar to worship God, to call on the name of the Lord. We read that in the very verses this morning. In other words, as Abram was following, he was pausing to worship God. It means that something had happened in his life to where he was no longer following other gods. He was following the God of the scriptures. He was following the one true and living God. And he knew that in order to follow this God and have a relationship with this God, that he needed a sacrifice. That something had to bring him to God that he couldn't get to God on his own, by his own effort, by his own activity, by his own will. He had to have something bring him to God. That was a sacrifice. That meant that that sacrifice was to represent Abram to God. And because that sacrifice was made, Abraham was good with God. And God, more importantly, was good with him because that sacrifice did what Abraham couldn't do and it brought him to God. Well, the only other thing you need to know about this before we get into the takeaways in this story is that Abraham lived by these promises of God the rest of his life. The rest of his life. And I really want you to take that in because when we get to chapter 22 and get to that story, if you forget this now, that story in 22 is not going to make as much sense to you. Abraham lived on the promises of God, these promises right here, for the rest of his life. And that's not saying that he didn't try to take matters into his own hands many times, because he did. But these words of God were the anchor of his soul. It was through these promises of God that, that Abraham's vision of the world was changed. It, it's through these promises that he could see that God has an expansive vision for the entire world. It was through these promises that Abraham knew that God was at work in the world doing something through him. And oftentimes he didn't even know what was going on. He just followed. He just went. He just kept going. He just 
kept letting go. He just kept leaving behind. He just kept traveling light. He knew, Abraham knew that God was at work in the world. Now on this side, we know that all that centered on Jesus. Can't tell you exactly when Abraham understood all that, but he knew that God was doing something in the world. He knew that God had a mission in the world. He knew to approach God through sacrifice. He knew that something had to substitute for him before God. He knew that God was doing something and that God was powerful just like we should. Well, that's the story. Let's get into the takeaways. The first takeaway is this, just to make it emphatically clear. And remember, this is when you could be thinking in your mind about who is God for me? And what is faith? What is my faith? What does it mean to believe? So when those questions should be in your mind, we're gonna try to answer them now, this week. So here's takeaway number one, just to be abundantly clear. This story is about God. This story is about God. It's not so much about Abraham as it is about God. Let me give you the background. Remember, right now we're only in Genesis 12, right? So let's go back through the background. Here's the background. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates. Genesis 3, God writes a serpent or a dragon into the story for us to slay, and we don't. And because we don't knock off the snake, because we don't do combat with the enemy, poison is injected into the entire world, into every being, into everything. Poison, rebellion, tyranny, sin, everything. It's just unleashed on mankind and unleashed in creation. And that leads to the first murder, where you have a brother actually killing his own brother, all because of jealousy. And then you have this spiraling effect in which God says that all the thoughts of mankind were only evil continually. So God brings about flood and judgment, but through that, he saves one family, Noah and his family. And he brings them through the flood, And he tells them, hey, go. Just like I said at the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, go, go throughout the world. Go have dominion. Go and have fun in the world as an image bearer of me. Go advertise me in everything you're doing. Go do it everywhere. And you know what Noah's response to that was? To get blackout drunk. He passed out. Drank so much, he passed out. So that his sons came into where he was living and they saw him there, butt naked. He was passed out drunk. And then from there, you know what happens? The people who were alive said, you know what? We're gonna build a tower up to God. We're gonna make a name for ourselves. God wants us to be scattered and we don't wanna go anywhere. We wanna stay right here amongst ourselves and we wanna build a tremendous tower and we wanna take out God, basically. We wanna show everyone that we don't need God. So that didn't go too well. God came down and he scattered them. In other words, humanity is spiraling out of control. 
In other words, humanity is off the rails. Polygamy is everywhere, murder, trying to live life apart from God. Everything is in disarray, everything. And you would expect that with that as a background, that what we would read about is judgment of God, right? Here, here people that God has created and he said, look, follow me and, and live for me and image me. I've, I've, I've given you everything that you need and humanity has said nothing but no. No way. I'm gonna do my own thing, God. I'm gonna define who I am. I'm gonna marry who I want. I'm gonna kill who I want. I'm gonna build what I want. I'm gonna do everything the opposite of what you say. And you would expect that God would say, mm, I'm not gonna live with that. And bring judgment. But what does he do? What happens in verse one and following of chapter 12? He determines to bless and change and be active in the world. This is a story about God. That's why those first three words, roughly, of verse one of chapter 12 mean so much. You can translate it this way, and God said. This is a story about God. This is, this is an entire piece of history in which God is active when he has the right to bring incredible judgment. And he is determined to reverse the course of history. He is determined to get humanity back on the rails. He is determined to spread his glory throughout the world when he has every right to take revenge because that's exactly what we would have done, isn't it? And God says, I'm going to bless the world. I'm gonna act in the world to bring about my purposes and my glory. I am not letting you go. You cannot destroy yourself. I won't let it happen. So he determines to bless this idolater named Abraham by telling him to go. You do realize that this promise that God gives Abraham is not so much for Abraham, but what God was gonna do through Abraham? You get that? Like I said before, it's great to have promises of God to cling on to, he'll never leave me or forsake me, because I love to individualize the heck out of that, right? But this promise is how, if I put myself in the picture, how God is going to affect other people through me. See the difference? God is determining to use Abraham to spread his glory everywhere. He's not just saying, Abraham, this is, I'm gonna do this and this. He's saying, this is how I'm going to affect the entire world through you for all of history. This is a story about God. It's a story about God speaking and acting to bless. This, without these three words, and God said, we got nothing. Like the whole, the whole thing, the whole Christian worldview, the whole looking at the world through what God says hangs on these three words. It hangs on God's activity. It hangs on God's pursuit. It hangs on what God determines to do. 
And that leads us to this. It means that Abraham believed, and we should believe too. You see, faith is not completely rational. It's not irrational, but it's not completely rational. Faith is marrying the invisible with visible. Faith is marrying what is invisible with what is visible. It is God saying, I'm going to give you a land, and then waiting until that invisible promise of God becomes visible. Get it? Faith is marrying what is invisible with what is visible. Well, what in the world does it mean to live like that? Let me try to show you. Faith is not imposing our will on God. Faith is not imposing our will on other people. Faith is not imposing our will on the world. Faith is learning to embrace what is given. Faith is learning to embrace what is given so that as you interact with each other and other people, you are watching and looking and asking and listening until you see God at work. Faith is not imposing your will on other people. It is embracing what has been given and treating people that way so that you're watching and thinking and asking and listening until you see God at work. Faith is not living life, getting everything we can and keeping everything we can. Faith is shifting from getting and keeping to receiving. So that when you look at your life, you think about not what am I getting, not what am I trying to keep, not what am I trying to hold to so tightly. Faith is learning to receive everything. So that whatever hardship you have coming your way, you're learning to receive it. You're learning to listen and ask and be patient and see God working. Faith is not controlling and trying to impose your will on everything else. Faith is shifting from that to embracing what you have and receiving everything. Faith is not chasing. What are you chasing? Really, what are you chasing? Faith is not chasing. Faith is realizing that we are being pursued. Do you get the difference? Where I am in my life right now is that I have to embrace the reality that is. I can't control it. I can't impose my will upon it. I have to embrace it. 
I have to ask questions. I have to think. I have to embrace what God is for me through what I am going through. So do you. Faith is me realizing that I'm not chasing anything that's worth anything that I can bring about. There's a lot of time in my life and a lot of time in my days where I'm chasing something. And God wants me to change to where I'm not always chasing something else, but I'm learning that I'm being pursued. Even through every circumstance that is upon me. That means when you look at your jobs and you look at the ups and downs of your life, you gotta embrace them. And you can't just will your way through it and you can't just chase down victory, whatever that is, through the circumstances of your life. You got to learn, you got to learn to change. Just like me, I've got to continue to change and realize that in everything that's going on, I am being pursued. That God is after my heart. That he's after changing me. He's after making me into the image and the likeness of Jesus. Faith is so profoundly mysterious. And in the West and in our culture, man, we love to make it a formula. We love to make it an algorithm. We love to make it about if I just do this, pray this, do that, then I'll get the outcome I want. And that's just not it at all. And worse, Sometimes we can use faith to try to impose what we want on others rather than observing God at work and moving along that pattern of watching him and trusting him. Boy, let me tell you, that's really inefficient. Really inefficient. That's the way God works. It's the way he's working in Abraham's life. Do you ever think about this? God pursues Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, I want you to go. Abraham says, well, where do you want me to go, God? Well, I don't know. I'll let you know. God comes back to him and says, Abraham, you're going to have a child. <laughs> Abraham, how? I'll let you know. God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. Why? I'll let you know. How many times in our lives... How many times right now are we thinking to ourselves, Lord, I'll follow you, but tell me exactly where I'm going. Lord, I'll, I'll do what you say, you just have it all make sense to me on the front end. You know why we do that? Because we like to think that we can stay in control. I'll follow you, Lord, as long as you take me to a place I wanna go. You see how we hedge? Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? What's your plan for me the next five years? God's, I don't know. Well, I don't know if I can follow you, follow you if I don't know where I'm going. That's you trying to stay in control. That's you hedging on letting go, leaving behind, and traveling light. Anybody, anybody in here want to know where they're going ahead of time? How'd that go in your marriage? How'd it go in your career? Didn't quite work out the way you planned, did it? And all along, 
God's pursuing you. You're chasing this over here, and God's pursuing you through this. Do everything. You see, this brings us to the gospel, doesn't it? Letting go, leaving behind, traveling light. There's one man who's ever lived who's embodied that. His name was Jesus. He didn't clutch tightly to equality with God, but he let go. He left behind the glories of presence with the Father and the Spirit to come. He traveled light on this earth, didn't really have a house. He was passing through. He's the embodiment of those things. On the cross, through the empty tomb, he showed you what he was willing to let go of, his own dignity, He was willing to let go of everything, even being forsaken by his father so that he would come to us. That's why for us, the call of the gospel is to let go and leave behind and travel light. I've got to let go of my plans. I've got to leave behind my desire for power and influence. I've got to leave that behind. I've got to leave behind selfishness. And I've got to travel light. I'm not acquiring all kinds of things that I have to maintain and keep up. I've got to travel light. All because it's what Jesus has done for me. Because he has done it, I can do it. I can follow him. And beloved, that's what brings us to the table.